You're listening to the Data Point Podcast, brought to you by The Hindu. I'm your host, Sonika Loganathan. Infosys founder N.R. Narayana Muthi sparked a nationwide debate recently after he said this. My request is that our youngsters must say, this is my country. I want to work 70 hours a week. You know, this is exactly what Germans and Japanese did after the Second World War. Yes. He was speaking in the first episode of a video series published by 3 on 4 Capital called The Record. Since then, everyone seems to be debating whether today's workforce, especially the younger members, should spend a little more time at work or whether the current 40-hour work week is fine and maybe something else has to change. If we did implement Murthy's suggested 70-hour work week, then we would have to work 11.5 hours for six days a week. According to the Time Use survey conducted in India in 2019, someone between the ages of 15 to 29 in rural India spends over 7.2 hours a day in employment and related activities while someone in urban India spends 8.5 hours a day doing the same. Now, the issue working more or less, or the current amount, really boils down to productivity levels. The point of Murthy's argument is that increasing work hours would lead to higher productivity and hence lead to more economic growth. He said that Japan and Germany, both developed countries, were able to grow because their citizens worked harder and longer to rebuild their countries after the end of the Second World War. But since the 1960s, their hours worked has dropped, while their output per hour, measured in dollars, has increased dramatically. India has continued to have high work hours, but output per hour over the same time period has risen at a much slower pace. So what are Indians supposed to do? Is working more hours the key to unlocking higher productivity levels and hence contributing to the nation's economic growth? To discuss this, I'm joined by Anamitra Roy Chaudhary, Assistant Professor at the Center for Informal Sector and Labor Studies at JNU, and Arjun Nagarajan, Chief Economist and Communications Manager at Sundaram Asset Management. Thank you both so much for joining me today. So to start off with, I want to ask you, should Indians work 70 hours a week? Is Mr. Murthy onto something here? Arjun, I'll start with you. I think, at least for me, I wanted to sort of de-emphasize on that 70 number because the context in which he delivered that message was was the fact that India was in a sort of an inflection point and people had to sort of take a sense of ownership that's, that, that sense of ownership seemed to me as the underlying message. Uh, the place we're in is a, a very crucial inflection point, you know, the, uh, the largest population in the world. So, so we've got a very large positive demographic dividend ahead of us in the next, next 30 to 40 years. If we miss this, these few decades ahead of us, then it's going to be very difficult for us to really move up the value chain and move up from a prosperity point of view, we'll get stuck in that middle income trap. If I look at Germany, Germany and Japan were the two countries that really stood out in his example. Uh, first thing I think is that both these countries are post-war um, uh, tone countries that 
really had to reconstruct themselves. So India really can't compare itself with uh, Germany and Japan because we're not in a post-war period. But um, he's sort of trying to send the message that uh, we might not really be in, in a post-war period, but it's really serious. It's very important for us to really uh, take that ownership and, and charge ahead if we really need to go where we want to go. Now, uh, the second thing that came out was if I looked at Germany during the Industrial uh, Revolution period, which was roughly around uh, the 1800s, 1850s to 1920s. And another example I took was a little more recent where you had the advantage of technology and you had the advantage of all of that, South Korea. So 1960s to 1980s. If I look at the same surveys, um, so India all through the 1990s to late to 2020s, the number seems to be in and around six to seven hours per day. If I compare Germany and uh, South Korea, Germany roughly during their heydays, they were nearly 50 to 40% number of hours worked were 50 to 40% more. And if I look at South Korea in the 1980s when they were really at their peak, it's roughly around 30, 33% uh, they worked longer than uh, what the survey sort of indicates. So directionality, if I look at it, it does uh, indicate that uh, we will definitely need to work longer. Uh, that hard work in a certain sense is is required. But mm -hmm. uh, having said that, these numbers are a very, la very broad generalization. It will work. It will really change very drastically across sectors. Right, right. So, I mean, you brought up this fact that we are at an inflection point. So, Anamita, you know, do you agree that at this juncture that India's in, that we should be working more hours, you know, regardless of whether it's 70 hours or not? First of all, more or less is something a relative term. So, we have to understand that with respect to what we are saying more or less. Can we have an independent uh, fulcrum on the basis of which we can say this. So uh, in 1919, ILO, International Labour Organization, in its very first convention, actually said that the working hours should be eight hours a day and 48 hours a week. And India was one of the first countries, among the one of the first countries to have ratified it. So now we are saying that we have to work for 70 hours and so on. The corporate sector and many from the industry is actually saying that we need to increase the hours and uh, they have at least not contested. Many of them has not contested and has agreed to this 70 hours. Now, it's unfair to compare with the uh, Industrial Revolution because what you are doing is that actually you are going straight back 200 years. So going back 200 years, what was that kind of technology and so on and so forth was there? You really cannot compare that with today. Also, comparing Germany and Japan, which were uh, war-torn economy at that time, you see, there is a basic very difference between that of Germany and India. In Germany, what happened after World War II, they were facing severe labor shortages. So if you have labor shortage, in that case, what they did is that during uh, post-war reconstruction, because you have low labor uh, supply, in that situation, what they also did is that they opened their borders and immigrants, especially from Turkey, were coming in. And in a situation when there is a labor shortage, in that case, what happens is that uh, working longer hours do matter. 
But we in India, whatever we our stage of development, we are a labor surplus economy. There is huge unemployment in the economy. Now, in this situation, if people start to work more, in that case, what is going to happen? The number of hours which is required in order to produce some aggregate level of output, say for example, the total requirement is say 160 hours. Now, if people work for eight hours, in that case, number of workers required is 20. It's 160 divided by eight, 20. If it is the case that people start working for 10 hours, 16 workers are required. So four workers immediately become unemployed. So in a situation where the economy is demand constrained, which the Indian economy certainly is, working longer hours has an implication for unemployment also. Currently, if you look at, uh, say, for example, Germany, it's working for 34 hours a week, Japan around 37 hours a week. Now, you may say that these are developed countries. What about Indian neighbors? India is working around 48 hours. Pakistan, less than India, 47 hours. Bangladesh, working for 47 hours. Bhutan, working for 51 hours. Sri Lanka, 36 hours. Nepal, 40 hours. You are discussing Indian labor market in a context. And you cannot simply say that I'm going ahead of other countries, irrespective of what is happening to the workers in uh, in the very region. Although 70 hours, we do not take it seriously. If it is not taken seriously, all the more good. But if that becomes the norm, that is not something which would be comparable to either the developing countries or the developed countries. So before you know, we go to productivity levels, I do want to just kind of address how realistic it is to work more hours, regardless of whether it's 70 or not, because you brought up, you know, the International Labor Organization's standards, because we do see a lot of people in India are working longer hours, a lot of people who are employed, you know, in gig work, they're working more hours. So what are the kind of consequences of that? And is it realistic? In that very convention, which I was talking about the ILO convention, there is an article 10. Article 10 basically talks about that in British India, workers were working for 60 hours, including in mines, okay? Now, that's also 10 hours less than what we are proposing. In 1935, there was another ILO convention. This was convention number 47, which basically tried to reduce the work week to 40 hours. So growth through expansion of working hours is really low road to growth. The major implication about... Uh, what is going to happen to this kind of if people started working for uh, 14 hours, say five days a week, or around say 11.5 hours if it is six days a week, you have to add the travel time here. So if travel time is one, one hour more, in that case, it's even if we take it 11.5 hours, it is 13.5 hours if we take one, one hour travel. Over and above this, what's, what the periodic labor survey data shows, the women are going to be affected more than the men. They are already working less than uh, that of men, along with working in the uh, labor market or for employment. Women are also doing unpaid care work, 5.5 hours each day. They are putting in on unpaid care work. Whereas men 
are putting in less than an hour, 41 minutes to be precise for unpaid care work. So if you increase the working hours, what you are in turn doing is that there is inherently, a, you are biasing the market against women. Labor force participation rate for female in India is one of the least, even in South Asia. Arjun, would you like to respond? Sure. So uh, at the outset, I think I, I want to sort of uh, clarify that uh, this entire context of 70 was more a voluntary uh, comment rather than any 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 sort of a policy prescription. So from a policy point of view, I think I'm I'm very clear. I'm I'm on the same page as uh, Anamitra in the sense that it should be very clear. One shouldn't really be forced to work more than the stipulated legal uh, timelines. There's been a lot of research that has been talked and that has come out about how important work-life balance is. The other bit I want to talk about is. Um, all these numbers of eight hours per day, nine hours per day, or seven hours per day, all of these are averages, and it varies very significantly across industries. So um, I'm taking the example of South Korea and UK purely because you have data on that. Uh, now, US is very largely, nearly 80% of the United States is a services-dominated is a economy. South Korea, not so much, is still the, the, the recent amount of industry in there. If I look at the highest and the lowest uh, in these two countries, manufacturing, the weekly hours are roughly around 45 hours a week. And for leisure and hospitality in the US, it's roughly around 25 hours a week. So you can see there's a very stark discrepancy. So which means manufacturing um, on average is working 40% more number of hours than leisure and hospitality. And when you're looking at it from a South Korea's point of view, the gap is even wider. Um, the, the segments of transport, retail, food services, they were working 75 hours a week, um, whereas education is around 40 hours a week, which means there's nearly it's nearly 80% higher than the lowest in a certain sense. So what stage of development that country is in and uh, segment-wise, whether is it, a, is it a largely a services economy or is it largely a, a manufacturing economy, I think that will also um, tell you a lot about how to read the average. Say, for example, if you did the same thing for China, given that China and their entire 1990 to 2012 phase, there's a significant amount of manufacturing focus was there, export focus was there. So they also had pushed their uh, people to really work more. So you had a lot of negative effects of that, not contesting that. But I'm, I'm just trying to put it in perspective, saying that uh, each country's number has to be seen in the context of the industry and the drivers of growth for that particular country. So let's speak about this idea of development, right? We have Germany and Japan, both developed countries, and then we are on our way there. But I think it is kind of, even just generally, if you you know hear people talk, it's like you work more, that's going to lead to more productivity. But then the data shows that even though we are working far more hours than these developed countries, our productivity has increased very, very slightly over the years. In comparison, theirs has increased significantly more. So do you think that there is some case to be made when it comes to working more hours equals higher productivity? And if so, why? And why haven't we seen that? And if not, what needs to be done differently? Arjun, you can start. Sure, Sonika. So I think this was, this was something that really tickled me when I sort of read that. India has really been working quite hard. So I said, hey, let me just look at this data because the minute you say GDP or output per worker per hour, 
uh, you have to really break it down. In India, we keep talking about $5 trillion economy. So I think we're, we're likely to see that only in around 2028, 29. But the minute you say we are a $5 trillion economy or a $10 trillion economy, the most important variable that people seem to miss is the exchange rate. Um, so the numbers are telling me that in 2019, output per worker in dollars for the United States was 74. Germany was $69 and India is around 8.7. So it seemed too low for it to really be true. So I said, hey, uh, let me see if it is in dollar terms. It was in dollar terms. And then I used the currency rates for those years and back calculated what they would be in local currencies. And I just took post prices of data, 1990s, 2000, 2010, and 2019. Now, after I've converted that back into the local currency, and I see the growth rates in these. From 1990 to 2019, there's roughly a 63% growth in output per worker in local currency terms. So there's no, there is no currency involvement here. They're all in their own local currencies. Uh, for the United States, there's a 63% increase from 1990 to 2019 in productivity, that is output per worker. Uh, for Germany, it's roughly around 59%. And for India, it's nearly nine times, which sort of tells you that the currency rate in the 1990s for the Indian currency was somewhere in and around the 30 rupees a dollar, which is currently now at around 80 odd. So if you sort of adjust for this entire huge depreciation, which is nearly more than uh, 60, 70%, you can sort of bring the entire uh, productivity number in context and it tells you in local currency terms there's a 9x increase in nominal um, uh, output per worker as compared to roughly around a 60% for US and in Germany. And that also puts this entire thing in context because Germany and uh, the United States are developed countries which means inflation is lower, the growth rates are lower and it puts the entire thing in context. So, the output per worker, I think that's a, that is a metric that one shouldn't look at largely because it is in dollar terms and it completely ignores the, the impact of the currency on, on these numbers. Yeah. Uh, first of all, there is data available for productivity per hour, not worker. For per hour, it is available and it is also available in purchasing power parity terms, which takes into account that of what is the price of the same basket in terms of the local currency and these are comparable so let us consider that even if we wanted to compete with germany in terms of working more is it possible these productivity numbers are per hour productivity not per worker so per worker is uh, not good to calculate because as i was saying is that different countries work different hours so India, for example, in uh, 2017 was $8, okay? And for Germany, it was $69.8. So Germany to India is around 8.7 times more productive per hour German worker compared to that of Indian worker, okay? Roughly speaking, that German workers work 5.72 hours, six days a week. In that case, per day, they are working around 7.52 hours let us say six hours okay therefore in order to compete with german workers indian workers all have to work 8.7 times more german worker per day is working six hours indian worker has to work 8.7 times this six which turns out to be 52 hours that's not possible in a day humanly 
because there are only 24 hours. So you cannot compete with Germany in terms of hours. That is simply not possible. Now, one argument can be made is that what about China? Can we comp com compete with China? So for the Chinese, the labor productivity per hour again is 11.5 in 2017. And for India, it is 8. Okay, And these are again comparable. So it is around, say, 1.44 times more productive the Chinese workers are. They are actually working 46 hours a week. So if you multiply 46 with 1.44, in that case, what you get is 66.24 hours. That is, I think, where the 70 hours is very near to 70 hours. That is where the 70 hours is coming from. You know, how you compete between two countries, it is something, this idea is called unit labor cost. Unit labor cost is in order to produce one unit of output, what is the labor cost which is associated with it? Now, think of that there are two countries and labor productivity in one country is double that of the other, which basically means that if the wage rate in both countries are the same, country which has double the labor productivity will have half unit labor cost. So you have to compete with that country. What you either have to do is to cut your wage by half because your productivity is half or what you have to do you have to let the worker work for double the time in order to compensate for the half of productivity i want to ask you know we're focusing on the number of hours worked so we're putting a lot of kind of responsibility on the individual who's working right but I wonder if a big part of the reason why these other countries are able to be more productive is because of investment in R&D. So the India Innovation Index report by Niti Aayog said that the gross expenditure in 2018 on R&D as a percentage of the GDP was 0.67%, which is one of the lowest in the world. So at what point do we kind of say, okay, maybe let's not focus on the number of hours worked, how much people are getting compensated for those hours. And where do we say, let's invest more in capital so that people are able to be more productive? How do these two factors kind of balance with each other? Arjun, you can start. Sure, sure. You sort of hit the nail on the head uh, in a sense that this entire productivity angle, what we sort of miss out on when we look at productivity numbers for India and the developed world is the fact that the level of automation is much, much higher in the, in, in the Western world. And your wages also tend to be on the higher side, given that populations are lesser, the working age populations are also lesser. So in a sense, the markets finds the equilibrium on the wage front. So economies that are fairly labor surplus wages tend to be on the lower side. Now, on the capital part, India remains a capital-starved country. So one thing that is very evident is we, we import much more than what we export. Our trade deficit is largely a reflection of the fact that we invest more than, what, more than the amount of saving that we have. India has a saving of, let's say, 100 rupees. We're actually investing 130. So your savings investment gap is almost exactly the same as your current account deficit, which tells us that capital is the most important need of the hour. And investing in a capital optimization is, I think, is, is the priority number one, because we, we, we're sort of touching our nose 
in a roundabout sort of way, we really need to streamline a lot of things. We need to streamline on the infrastructure front. We need to really cut out all the obstacles that can sort of uh, smoothen progress. So I think that is uh, layer number one. Layer number two is from an industry point of view, I think that optimization has to come in. And after that, I think will then be uh, artificial intelligence or um, bringing in technology to really bring in that extra uh, leverage. I think technology should be number three rather than number one, because we really have a lot to do on trying to optimize and make the system more efficient. Productivity has, it has to be defined clearly. Productivity is defined not as output per worker. It has to be seen as output per hour work. And that can only go up if it is the case that your capital accumulation increases and the technology improves. So the capital productivity actually has to improve. Now, as you were quoting the data on RNB and so on, see, workers cannot be investors. They cannot invest. So in order to improve the productivity and become competitive in the world market, it is the investors, in other words, the industrialists, they have to invest. So the productivity gap or the you know lack of competitiveness that India is suffering from is basically because it is the inability, even after three decades of liberalization, we have not been able to increase our productivity because there has been lack of investment in efficiency increasing kind of technology and so on and so forth. I'm just going to um, cut you off for a second because I just want to ask why have we not been investing? You know, why are we in this situation where we haven't invested? enough in R&D? Why are we lacking this capital? Can you kind of explain if there's any policies behind this or lack of policies? You know, that's the thing. There can be high road to growth. Well, the high road to growth precisely is that you invest, you increase the productivity per hour, and that's how you reduce your unit labor cost. You become competitive in the world market and your exports do increase. That that that's you know in a labor surplus economy that is what you need to do. The other way to do it is basically to suppress your wage. So we have taken the second part rather than the first part, and in some sorts, this is you know reflected in the last few budgets where the government is saying that we have to make capital investment and so on and so. Forth. So you know of course yes, the government has to do it. But along with it, it is also the responsibility of those who are competing in the world market that it is essential to have this investment because there are limits to up to which you can depress your wage. There are limits to how much you can increase the working hours. And uh, remember, depressing wage is also a very bad idea for a different reason. Wages also are part of your consumption. The largest part of your wage is spent on consumption. And the data is showing is that the private final consumption expenditure to GDP ratio that is going down. Arjun, do you want to respond to that? And if you can maybe comment on what the current policies are in this regard. Yeah, on, on, on uh, lower R&D you were talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, that is, is a very chicken and egg sort of a situation. So Three things that are largely um, responsible for that. One is, again, funding. 
so there is lack of funding the government really can't do everything there's only so much that the government can do which means there has to be a fair bit of private players that uh, need to come in uh, and and set up r&d facilities in india second is in india we don't really we haven't really ramped it up infrastructure in a certain sense adequate infrastructure for research and development i think is something that's extremely important that is something that has been i think they've been focusing on that but it's a little too late for us to actually ramp up to the extent that other countries have but nevertheless i think uh, better than better late than never and the third is if you look at or the other western economies or other economies where r&d is really kick a, a positive boost for industry has been this link between academics and industry that hasn't really happened in india and that's something that we desperately sort of need so the minute you really link uh, academics and industry and you really that symbiotic relationship once you allow that to happen i think uh, r&d in itself will bring in a fair bit of funding so i think these three i think probably are the uh, uh, the key three key reasons as to why r&d spending in india is still fairly good okay given you know the current state of the economy is it possible to maintain work life balance while trying to increase your productivity levels and how does the average indian kind of go about doing that anamita you can start you see in order to answer this question i think we need to also look at the broader contours of the indian labor market the first problem that india is facing now is that of extreme job crisis although the open unemployment rate has gone down if you look at the structure of employment what is very concerning is that modern economy should have more of wage labor rather than doing self employment self employment basically is we are doing you know own farm jobs some small shops and 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 so on and so forth you know there is work life balance is when you have work i mean the major problem that indians are facing and why you can uh, push them to work for more hours is simply because there is lack of work although the unemployment open unemployment rate has fallen the problem is that the self employed currently is now 57% of the workforce 57% of your workforce is doing self employed in in the self employment category there is another category which is those who are unpaid helpers say for example my father is running a shop and for 2 hours he is going for breakfast or lunch or whatever and these 2 hours i am actually Uh, sitting in the shop okay i am not getting paid anything out of it but the how the data is collected i am unpaid yet i am reporting to be working so this constitutes 18% of your workforce so basically there is no work we need to create how to increase productivity is that the high productivity sector the organized sector of the economy which you know merely employs only 10% of the workforce and contributes to 45% of the output that sector has to increase to increase the productivity and regarding the work life balance you may you know in this situation when there is a crisis of subsistence in that case you may put pressure to get out more work from people but then in that case i think uh, largely it is the labor laws which have to be imposed and if it is not working endogenously in that case exogenous intervention must be required in order to 
have some kind of decency in the labor market so that people are uh, and and it is affecting the women more than uh, compared to that of men so i think that kind of an exogenous uh, intervention would be necessary in order to keep the work life balance so completely completely agree with anamita on those points so i think uh, that formalization i think is the most important and it has to happen in a very organic fashion and not in a very disruptive fashion because i think that is that is very very key uh, secondly the point again that he mentioned on enforcing labor laws i think that that is quite uh, crucial over and over all of that for those where you really uh, need um, uh, this question of work life balance i think what really changes the equation is leadership apart from wage part of it the remuneration part of it that has to really be on par with the amount of work that you put in the number number of hours that you really uh, put in apart from that and i'm not bringing that in because it complicates the entire equation but uh, assuming that is there i think an empathetic leadership really makes a, a world of difference where the employee feels uh, one with the firm that he works in he loves the work that he does in that sort of a context then the number of hours become a little secondary because you're actually working towards a, a, a very different goal you know that your needs are taken care of you know that uh, remuneration is not an issue it becomes a, a, a very voluntary sort of an approach so i think the, the the leadership is i think the most important i mean we need at this point in time a crucial point in time that india is in we need a lot more empathetic leaders where they understand uh, the people who work for them and uh, take care of them correctly That's it for this week's episode, but I'll be back soon to unpack the next big data story. This podcast is available on all major streaming platforms including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. So make sure you are subscribed so that you do not miss the next one. As always, you can find all of our data coverage at thehindu.com/data. Thank you so much for listening.